0: Do you know what the Mishnah is? Some of you do. Some of you, well, I've heard that. And I've heard it in church. Or I've heard it spoken about out in uh, my doings around the community or whatever. Well, the Mishnah was a compilation of Jewish oral law, oral tradition, that was compiled at the end of the 2nd century A.D. And one of its famous statements that it makes is this. Tradition is a fence around the law. Tradition is a fence around the law. You almost hear the fiddler on the roof. Tradition you, know, <laughs> you, you hear that uh, in in echoed in this. Obviously, Jewish people in the Old Testament and on in after even the coming of Christ obviously were very concerned, the devout to be careful to pay attention and honor God's law. But the problem often is sometimes we think we're wiser than the law itself. And instead of just simply saying, okay, the law says this and here's the line, well, what if we got smart and said, you know, if that's the line not to violate, let's, let's move the goalpost and put it here. And you know what would even be better? Thinking about it a while, what if we put it out here? And then maybe out here, and then guess what? It'll never get to you violating the real law over there. That's kind of how fencing works. And you see this fencing concept of putting things, barriers further out, and putting additional demands. On people beyond what the Torah or the law says. That may have begun well enough as far as intentions are concerned. Probably was thought to be a good thing. It was something that would uphold and honor the sacredness of their scriptures. But by the time Jesus arrived on the scene. It had produced some unbelievable absurdities. Let me just give you one it's an example and there are, are so many but this one is is regarding offense regarding spitting spitting on the sabbath here's how it goes one was permitted a person was permitted to spit on the ground on the sabbath but you had to be very careful where you spit. Because if it landed on the dirt and you with your sandals scuffed the area where you spit, you could be cultivating the soil unintentionally and thus be performing work and thus violate the Sabbath. And there's the stuff out there worse than that. More absurd, more completely fruity than that. But in the Mishnah, the biggest concern, and in the oral traditions of Jesus' day, the biggest concern, 186 pages of the Mishnah, 186 pages were about Cleanliness and ritual washings. Now, we're not talking about the kind of washings that we should be doing a lot of. By the way, you and me and everyone should be doing a lot of washings right now. (laughs) But they have to do with soap and water, and they have to do with uh, antibacterial uh, stuff and whatever because of passing germs. This ritual washing had nothing to do with sanitation. It had nothing to do with that. It was spiritual, ritual cleansing so that you could be good enough, acceptable enough to go into God's presence. And if you didn't, if you you were contaminated or unclean, you couldn't. So that was very important. It was a big deal. Now let's read our text today. Mark's Gospel, we pick it up. Where we left off a few weeks ago, Jesus has done all these supernatural miracles and signs, but now word's gotten out, and there are some people that are coming to see Jesus with a particular intent in mind. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written. This people honors me with their lips. But their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them. You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God. Then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. And he called the people to him and again said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. By the way, it was no parable. <laughs> and he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. From within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within. And they defile a person. Thus far, the word of God. Let us ask his blessing upon it. Let us pray. Father, we have read your word. We need you to further enlighten us. Help us understand and apply it. With sensitivity to your spirit and to the truth of your word. Father, give us ears to hear. That you may be glorified and your people may be edified. And we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well at this point in Jesus' ministry. He had reached rock star status on his galilean tour he was unbelievably sought after popular anywhere he went you saw the scenes when he thought he was going to some place out in the wilderness they would come and would find him every time pressing in upon him and his fame was spreading Enormous crowds were gathering. Powerful miracles were being done. And his fame was spreading throughout the land. North, south, east, and west. Now remember, Galilee is in the north. And it's a long way, about 70-something miles down to Jerusalem. But Jesus' activities were being watched from afar. And it was time the leaders, the spiritual leaders of Israel had decided it's time to go check up on this new rabbi, this hillbilly rabbi up in Galilee. So they sent an official entourage. Up until this point, Mark's account has been mostly about what? The doings of Jesus, remember I told you mark 's the book of action mark 's always recording the acts and what 's being done it 's a lot about action, so it 's been most of it has not been about the teaching of Jesus except the fact that he was teaching, but no not the content it 's been mostly about doings up until now but today in this text in mark seven we begin to find some of the additional teaching from Jesus. But it's in the context of this visit from the spiritual leaders, or we could call them spiritual hitmen, that would be more accurate, um, that have come from down south, from Jerusalem. And right on cue, these gatekeepers send an entourage to make sure this Rabbi knows who's who. In other words, they're not coming there to learn. They're not coming there to applaud and tell him, hey, we've heard the great things you're doing, Jesus. They're coming there to entrap him. They tried before, but they're back, knocking on the door again. Now, here's our outline for today pretty simple. The criticism, the commandments, And the cleanness. The criticism, the commandments, and the cleanness. Let's look at the criticism. That was in the first eight verses of the reading that we had this morning in Mark chapter 7, 1 through 23. The first eight are about the criticism. Now, as a general rule, this is true generally, establishments of any kind don't cotton to or like those who fail to conform to expectations. All you've got to do is try to come in and change a political uh, administration and get rid of some of its bureaucracy and you know what? Fur is going to fly and a lot more. It, anytime, anywhere, doesn't matter the party, it, nobody likes to have the establishment messed with. It creates too many things. Too much uncertainty. Too much change. And so whether it's religious establishments or civil or political, it doesn't matter. It's not appreciated. And so this consortium of Pharisees wasted no time in leveling criticism at the unclean actions of the disciples. They said, Jesus, have you not noticed? Your disciples... Are washing with unclean hands, are not? Are, are, are eating with unclean hands? Now let me ask you: Who were they talking to? Were they talking to the disciples? Were they over there reprimanding them personally? No, they were there talking to Jesus. They were just they were just the opportunity, the example they needed to expose Jesus the way they wanted to, to show him who was really knew what it meant to be godly what it meant to be devout and spiritual so the complaint was leveled at the behavior of the disciples but the target of the hostility was jesus himself now this kind of thing that they were doing is known as legalism it's a form of legalism there are various forms of it But legalism basically raises its ugly head in the lives of God's people in many ways. And when religious authorities come in and bind someone's conscience beyond what the Word of God says and starts tacking on additional commandments or requirements, that is legalism. It's one form. There is another form that has to do with thinking you can add your works to bring about salvation. Add that to the work of God. That's that's legalism. But this is a different form, but it's legalism nonetheless. These religious authorities... Bound people's conscience. Jesus is going to have a lot to say about this in all of the Gospels. You hear him again and again saying, you bind up by your traditions the people of God. You lay heavy burdens on their back that they can't carry. You can't carry. No one can. When religious authorities bind people's consciences where God has left them free, that is legalism in action. Adding human regulations to the law of God is devastating to spiritual health. You see, it's important. We should say, thus saith the Lord. We should be willing to pick up and say, this book, this book, this is not my book, these aren't my words, You're not. don't get mad at me. God said this, thus saith the Lord, but there's a problem when after I've said, Thus saith the Lord, and I say, Now listen to me, thus saith Joe, or thus saith Joey, or thus saith Clark, as if somehow that's right there in the same same genre, same deal. when I start making my, quote, wisdom, as I would see it, equal or maybe even practically better than the word of God, that's a serious, serious problem. And that's exactly what was happening in the time of Jesus and the Pharisees and their traditions of the elders. Notice that Jesus didn't answer their question when they asked him, hey, Can't you see your disciples? They're eating with unclean hands. Jesus did not say, "Oh, really? Oh, I didn't know that." Sorry, I'll, 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 I'll I'll jerk a knot in them here uh, soon when nobody's, you know. No, he didn't. He didn't answer their question at all. Rather, he went on the offensive and gave them a devastating broadside, if you want to put it in. Uh, old uh, naval shipping terms like the, like the uh, USS Constitution. They called her Old Ironside, if you remember. Well, you know, back in those days, they would, if you pirate movies you watch in the, in the broadsides, they get close and they're blasting each other. Well, that's what Jesus does, he gives a spiritual broadside to the Pharisees. And he throws Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, out to them. He throws that out. And he says to them, essentially, this. He says, you guys, he says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines, The commandments of men. They've essentially replaced. They've allowed the commandments of men to supersede the commands of God. And then he tells them that their traditions are more important to them than God's actual law. They probably didn't start out trying to do that. But that's exactly what they had done. Here's an irony. Every time we add to the law of God, we inevitably subtract from it. Do you understand that? Every time you try to improve and add to the law, you end up subtracting, not adding. When you want to improve it, you end up ignoring it. When you try to improve God's word, you end up ignoring its real intent. Jesus came to clarify. He did not come to put the law away. He came to explain by his life and by his teaching what it really means, the true intent of the law. But not to add additional burdens on the people where God did not. Now, the second part of this section is in verses 9 through 13. That's the commandment. Jesus then says... And stays on the offensive and gives the detractors an example of their own hypocrisy. Jesus points out that if a circumstance ever arose where scripture and tradition were put on the scales, Jesus says, You guys, every time, you will go with your tradition. Not nine out of ten, ten out of ten. Ten times out of ten. If it's the Word of God and your tradition, and one of those has to give way, you guys are going to be betting on the tradition horse every time. That's what he said. He understood. He knew the hearts of men. John has already told us that. He knew their practice. He didn't have to divine that or intuit that. It was clear in the way they did things. Jesus points out that if a circumstance arose like that, that's what you call, then Jesus goes on and talks about another form of legalism, but I guess you could maybe call this a subset, and he attacks them here again. He's still on the offensive. He's not through. He's doubling down on them. He's not about to let up. Now he starts talking about what we could call loopholeism. Loopholeism. A legalistic loophole. The Pharisees had found some wonderful tools in their toolbox of legalism. It's called loopholeism. It happens when people try to discern ways to get around the true intent of this book, of the law, of God's word, so they can accomplish what they actually want. It happens when people try to find a way around the law of God and they try to adhere to the letter of the law, but intentionally avoid the spirit of the law. In other words, they do enough that makes it look like they're doing something good and are obeying the law. But in reality, they end up negating it. They end up destroying the spirit. The practice was called Corban. Corban. And It was basically a vow made to God. And in that, Corbin, you had a situation where maybe, say, a a Jewish uh, leader would say, knowing that he's got aging parents and probably needs to be thinking about that and making provision for that to help as would have been culturally expected in that day. And yet he decides, I am giving this to God. He's invoking Corbin. He's making a vow, a religious vow. And the Pharisees had decided, and the elders had decided, that that law could not be broken. That vow was more binding than anything else that God's word binds. It, other things, you, Proverbs talks about backing up. When you make a foolish vow, don't do a Jephthah thing. Don't do it. That was stupid. Should have said, what an idiot I was. I'm backing off of that. But no, you could not because this was now given to God. But incidentally, it was a long, long uh, time before it had to be paid. You could go on years Months, years, and maybe never get around to actually paying it. Because, and if someone said, hey, your parents are in need, don't you, you know, I'm sorry. I'd love to help them, but I made a vow to God. See, I made a vow, keeping my vow. This is for God. Sounds spiritual, doesn't it? But in reality, it was a swindling of of their responsibilities, They were swindling God in what they were doing. And Jesus takes them to task in this. Jesus said, And you do many things more than that. It's like Jesus is saying, I'm just giving you guys one example. You're full of this stuff. You have been overgrown overrun by legalism and your heart is far from me and from my father. The practice of Corbin was more binding than the commandments of God and Jesus said you you have many more things that are like that. This is just one example of their heartless legalism. Now, we need to slow down here and do a little introspection. Yep, those Pharisees back then, they were really, really not not good folks. They were crooked. They did a lot of things setting, making up new laws. And we can sit here and we can look at them from afar and we can decry their self-righteousness, their better than thou-ness, their ways that they skirted around and dodged the real intent of the Bible, of the Torah. But before we pride ourselves on how much better we are, maybe we should stop and think whether or not Jesus might marvel at our dullness when it comes to this stuff. Remember he said, are you this dull? The disciples said, hey, tell us the parable. There was no parable. It's straightforward. And so he says, what do you mean parable? Hello? You guys still don't get it. And you know what? The great leader of this bunch, even after Jesus rose from the dead, ultimately the Holy Spirit had to come and remind him, because Peter had gotten into it again and was, wow, I'm not going to go eat with those and get defiled brutally. Jesus had taken care of all that and yet Peter fell right back into it. It shows you what's in your in my heart too. We're, we, we, we gravitate to this kind of thing. We should be careful We tend to choose which sins we denounce based on culture and traditions. I can't tell you. By the way, if you ever pick up your Bible and you read all 66 chapters, Old Testament and New, and you know what? You're going to find a good bit said about worship in the Old Testament because there was a lot of things that were in preparation and were preparing and pointing the way to things that would be fulfilled. But in the new, you're going to find very little detail about what the church did. You'll find some. You know, they, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles, teaching, breaking the bread, fellowship, and prayer. So basic things. But you know, you're not going to find a thing in there about worship style. You're not going to find a thing about worship style. And yet you've got some people that would split a church over whether or not they get their style of worship to be whatever they want it to be, 90%, 100%, 50%, whatever it is. What is that practically? That's the same hypocrisy, the same legalism, where... Instead of what the Word of God really tells us to do in worship, love one another, prefer one another, all of these things, they're more concerned about their own commandment that supersedes the greater commands of God. Those things go away, but this is all important to me. And it doesn't matter what which side of the, of the preference of worship styles you're on. You can do that and be effectively acting just like a Pharisee. And I can too. So let's be careful. As we today, Jesus had the right to throw stones. We sometimes may not be as pure as we might like to think and as spiritual as we might like to think. We find ways to to lessen things in this book and find things that are really important to us in other places. Finally, the cleanness, verses 14 through 23. To the Pharisees, our reflex understanding of how to get clean, Jesus said, you got it all backwards, dudes. You got it all wrong. This whole thing is backwards. Defilement comes from the very core of your being not it comes from the inside out. Proverbs says as a man thinketh in his heart so is he. Proverbs 23 7. So eating or refraining from certain foods will not change you spiritually. It will not help you. Not one iota nor will washing one's hands. It's the heart that's got to be cleansed. Now we've got a real problem there. Because Jesus said, you can't come from the outside in. The truth is, we're all trying to cleanse our hearts from the outside. That's what works righteousness is. That's what everybody's trying to do. They know something's wrong. They know we're defiled. People that say there is no God, they know they're not clean. They know they're not. They tell themselves publicly, yeah, I'm fine, I'm good. Everybody knows it because it's put there by God. It's the echo of the fall in our hearts, and we know. And we know something's wrong, and we know we can't fix it. But we try all these ways, and none of them will work. Did you notice that little commentary that Mark made? By the way, Mark doesn't make many commentaries. Little, little parenthetical thoughts. But he said when Jesus was saying this, he said, by this, Jesus, in verse 19, look at, listen to this, verse 19, Thus he declared all foods clean. Thus he declared all foods clean. That's not saying all foods were clean. He declared it. He made it so in that moment. There's a passage in Zechariah 3, 4, and verses 8 and 9. I'm not going to read in the interest of time. But it is about... That how that God will one day send his servant the branch to fulfill the cleansing requirements. And he said it will be done in one day. One day. And what is that day? That is the day Jesus went to the cross. That was foretold long ago. And Jesus is saying the cleanliness laws have been fulfilled by him His work is the only thing that can make us clean from the inside out. From the heart can change and cleanse and forgive our hearts. There are many things that men and women try to do over and over. and They can be religious or non-religious. But many things people can try to do to clean themselves up. But all is in vain but one. James Proctor said this in his article or poem, It is Finished. Cast your deadly doings down. Tow them down. All your doings, all things you think you can do to make yourself clean, he said, let it all go. Cast your deadly doings down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him, in him alone, gloriously complete. It's only Jesus that can wash away our sins. Nothing, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, as we come to your table now, feed us spiritually. Remind us of the fountain that is open for sin and uncleanness, that is your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in his finished work. Help us, Lord, to cast our deadly doings down over and over again, down at Jesus' feet, and stand in him alone, gloriously complete. Amen.